0: that ancient device has to be on the network because it's bound to millions of dollars in revenue in certain cases. And at the end of the day, you have the conversation and you feel okay and you go, okay, we've made that decision and you put it to rest. You do all the documentation you need. You have all the conversations you have and you put it to rest. You're in a healthy state.
1: Howdy y'all and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. That's Steve Mancini who at the time of this recording is CISO at Eclipsium, former deputy CISO at Silence, and an advisory board member for a handful of cyber companies as well. Steve and I are having a great conversation about negative tropes and phrases we tend to have and use in cybersecurity, and how they really add up to what is basically learned helplessness. Steve, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Well, thanks, I'm glad to be here.
2: Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford.
1: So briefly, why don't you tell us a bit about your background in cyber and a bit about your day job?
0: Sure. Um, So my background is 20 plus years, three different companies. Started out as a teenager, playing with computers, doing things that we won't talk about, like most people. Then I got into a really large company, and every two to three years, they gave me interesting projects, right? They would keep upping the scale. And then around 2010, I got hit with that tap on the shoulder that said, so, Google's been hacked. And it's called Aurora. And that's where I found my my special purpose, kind of like a Steve Martin, you know, coy phrase. There you go. Uh, and And I figured out that, you know, Having great professors like Gene Spafford teach me was clearly the motivator and the starter, but that became the, the crux of what I do. My day job today is I work for Eclipsium, which is this really forward-thinking company that recognizes firmware as an attack surface. And that could be an entirely different podcast about how dangerous that attack surface is and how much we as an industry haven't grokked the problem yet. Right. But we'll leave that for another day.
1: Sounds good. All right. So... Excellent teachers, excellent taps on the shoulder at the right time, the naughty bits when you were a kid, and uh, here you are now, CISO, an established member of the security community, if I say so myself. I, th- I think you've got a, a, a fantastic uh, background, and, and I'm really proud to have you on the show. So before the show, we talked about this idea that as cyber practitioners, we sort of cripple ourselves via learned helplessness, right? We talked about this idea that we we undermine our own success and our own victory. So why don't you why don't you share that with me a little bit about what your thoughts are there. And, and I've got a whole list of phrases we're going to get into next after that.
0: Oh, oh absolutely. It's, this comes from actually a lot of different thoughts when, when I have those spurious moments before coffee sets in and my brain is fixed on a certain trouble or topic of the day. And I had been doing some completely unrelated reading to the the industry and more i was looking at this phrase of learned helplessness and it was coming up again and again and i decided to go take a look at it and it, you know it's a condition where people suffer from a sense of powerlessness or you know it arises from traumatic events or persistent states of failure and as i started to think about the conversations you and i are having with our peers it started to resonate with me in a different place, right? We saw this kind of surge of personal conversations that we've been having where CISOs amongst themselves are willing to be a little bit more vulnerable. And that there's kind of this pervasive presence of imposter phenomena and always feeling like you're never resourced and always feeling like you're burning out and you can never get ahead. And I realized in the back of my head, I was going back to that same sort of phrase about a person who suffers from a sense of powerlessness or a persistent failure to succeed. But in our case, it wasn't necessarily that we were failing, it's that we were setting ourselves up to always fail. And, you know, I unpack things because one of my college degrees is in philosophy and political science. And so I often think about things in in deeper ways. And I said to myself, we're doing it to ourselves. This is a message that we are reinforcing and that we, when you look at it, we've reinforced this message for a decade or longer with dumb catchphrases that our industry has picked up and that has been amplified. And I think that's the list that you're kind of talking about, right? Yep, yep. But 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 this also kind of, to me, this this un, when I unpacked it further, I started to think about and ruminate over other aspects of our career and how this is even worse, right? So when I look at, at most security practitioners who are in it for a passion or in it from a mission perspective, they have personalities, they're guardians, they're caretakers, they're hunters, threat hunters, they're security architects who want to get it right. They're investigators, right? It's, it's people who deeply care about the consequences of what they do and what they don't do, right? And at the same time in our industry, we, industry, we like embrace researchers and red teamers who actually talk negatively about us, right? right? You go to the right conferences and suddenly everybody has got this cult of personality around this one researcher who found this one vulnerability right in the middle of his presentation. He starts trash talking defenders, well, you're not smart enough to do this and look how easy it was to get by you and red teamers do it. And we as an industry prop these people up. We give them the stage, we get them the all expense paid trip to keynote slots. Right. And then at the same time, we also in the court of public opinion, we crucify each other in a heartbeat in some instances, right? Yeah. The wrong person in the wrong per- position on LinkedIn, it gets massacred, even if it's, you know, something that everybody else would have to admit, I would have failed in the same spot, but we never do that, right? Right. And then, and then like the final piece to this, and I I know you're gonna, you're gonna laugh at me, because I know this is kind of resonant to where we both sit, is the marketing teams pick up like the bones, they pick the bones of every one of these public events, yeah, and use every little morsel, to like instill FUD on everything they do, and every time a security leader responds to an SDR or BDR that uses these narratives, yeah, that person goes back to their marketing team and says, "Hey, that worked," and the message just gets amplified. Right, right.
1: No, that's I know, a little
0: speechy, little soapboxy, but th- there was a lot of thoughts that made me say, "This is a problem." Yeah, and, and really got me to cycle down and circle on. Learned helplessness.
1: Yeah, no, this is this is good stuff. I'm not I don't think it was preachy or soapboxy at all. It, you're, you're coming at it from a couple of different angles. I hadn't even thought of myself, but there is, and, and you use the keyword vulnerable there, which to me is part and parcel of the problem. If we can't be vulnerable in public, then we're gonna always crucify each other. If we can't be the ones who step up and proudly proclaim. You know what? I'm not sure I could have done better in my circumstances, but we're never going to do that, right? Because to be vulnerable is to give away the armor. And the whole point of the career and the profession is the armor. So I don't know how we're going to work our way through that particular conundrum, but I'm I'm in absolute agreement with all three of those scenarios you described. The, you know, especially the marketing one. Oh my goodness, the marketing one. That's that's a conversation we can we could have a whole another eight shows on <laughs> is is bad cyber marketing. Yeah, absolutely. But before we before we got into the show, we talked about some of these phrases and and you mentioned this that there's catchphrases we tend to use amongst ourselves, catchphrases we use to hold ourselves, you know, accountable even um that may not be the healthiest choices of language. So, I'm going to I got a list of them here. I'm going to throw them out and we're going to take them apart and see how accurate they are and see if they don't actually instead fit this model of learned helplessness. So I'll start with one of my all-time favorites, it's a matter of when not if.
0: Yeah, this one this is clearly the the the, the cornerstone of futility, right? Yeah. And and but to be fair, a lot of them have a good kind of mental preparation thought behind mm-hmm. them, but the way that they are then depicted, revealed or used against us or weaponized is the worst case. And in this one it's one of these great ones, right? Well, it's it's not a matter of when, but if what? When you're going to have a material level breach that you actually have to care about, or the when somebody in your company clicks a phishing link and you, all of your good defenses come right in, grab it, lock it down, and take care of it. Right. right? Or, you know, I mean, the, the topical thing of today with Okta, right? Yeah. Is Okta compromised? Yes or no? We, we still don't know. And people are already like, when not ifing it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's you're setting yourself up to be in a, in a position of failure rather than saying, just be prepared, do the best you can with the resources you have and be prepared. But that's not sensational enough. Yeah. Right. It's got to be the threat. It's got to be the impending, you know, axe hanging over your head. Yep. What is it? The sort of Damocles? Yeah, if the sort of Damocles. It, right? There you and go.
1: And in the, in the APTs. Right. right? OK, yeah. so these next two tie into your fishing comment. I'm going to I'm going to throw them both out here because they're pretty related. One is you can't patch stupid.
0: And the other one is humans Mm -hmm. are the weakest link
1: and the humans are everywhere.
0: Yeah. Confession. I used to say this a decade plus ago when I used to sit in system security and thought that everything could be solved by a WAF and a firewall and a logging system. Mm -hmm. I used to say this. And it was really amazing people like Marissa Fagan over at Atlassian and Masha Shadova over at Elevate Security that that turned me around a decade ago. Right. And I, I joined a, a security awareness group, uh, Slack that's out there, out of, that started in the Bay Area, but it's grown. Yeah. And that's when I really learned how dumb this was. And that's when I pivoted from you can't patch stupid. No, you, you can't, but you're not stupid because you are overwhelmed with work and you have so many other priorities. And security is just one person barking at you. And you know what? Does that mean that your grandma's stupid? Are, are you going to tell your grandma to her face she's stupid? I had a big old Italian grandma, and if I said that, she'd smack me across the room. <laughs> so I don't see that happening with me, right? And, and you know, humans are the weakest link. Are they really? With all the code flaw that's out there, you can say, well, that's the byproduct of humans, but, you know, no. Yeah. They're also your greatest asset. They're your first perimeter. They are They are the the sensor that you can use. And starting off by telling them that they're stupid or that they're always there, or ever letting that be seen, just sets you up with the wrong relationship with the people who you are entrusted to protect right because ultimately at the end of the day the people are part of the organization and you're entrusted to protect the organization what are you saying to yourself and what are you saying to your people when you use this phrase
1: i love that right? i love that and I'm, I'm you know i don't want to get topical and this is such a, a horrible analogy but i'm reminded of what's going on in ukraine the fact that the citizenry has joined with the soldiers mm-hmm. And the the soldiers are there to protect the citizens. The citizens are stepping up and fighting alongside the soldiers. And it's that same sort of paradigm, I think, that we have to get to in cyber where, you know, I I want my users, quote unquote, making Molotov cocktails, right? Like, (laughs) you know, get in the fracas with me and be my ally and be my aid. I will help protect you, but you help protect yourself as well. And we'll, we'll lean on each other and get through this together. I think that's kind of a... Kind of a good one, and and that actually brings me to my yeah. next phrase. I, my analogy actually ties in well because another one that comes up all the time is it's asymmetric warfare.
0: Yeah, this one this one is one of the ones that's always bothered me. Again, I'll make reference to Esteban more than once, but we'll leave it for later. But this is like right there with all these stupid Sun Tzu comments that people embed in their in their content. Mm-hmm. It's not asymmetric. You have defense in depth. What does that mean? That means that you put lots of different places where an attacker can get caught, right? The one that hits right next to this is the, you have to be right all of the time. They only have to be right (sighs) once. I didn't have that
1: one on my list, but
0: yes, I know, I know you didn't. And I was going to hold it off for the later, but it's the same exact, it's the same exact sentiment, right? And again, it's BS. No. All right. If they can send an email with a phishing link, then maybe the user will catch it. Or maybe The tool in between my email and the user will catch it. Or maybe when the link is clicked, yeah, it's not true. But yet we set ourselves up to think, oh, God, if I fail once, the war is lost. Right. Right. This, again, is feeding that notion of any sort of failure is an imminent and catastrophic failure because we're putting things in the wrong terms.
1: Yep. I like that. I like that. Okay, here's another good one for you. This one always gets me. This is, and this one always has that stupid cartoon associated with it. The what keeps you up at night, right? The the cartoon of the CEO sleeping well, the CFO tossing and turning, and the CISO's not even in bed, right? He's yeah. already up yeah, working yeah, 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 on yeah. whatever the big asymmetric warfare problem is at the moment. So, what keeps you up at night? You know, the CISO staying up all night. What's your take on that one?
0: That's that's exactly the same sort of scenario, right? You're starting with the assumption that one, I I'm, I'm kept up at night by the things that I can't take care of but you're also asserting this position that I should be up at night worrying about things. And when my peers get into one of these paneled conversations and eventually some panel, well, what keeps you up at night? Everybody has to start thinking of something that keeps them up at night. And even to the degree where I've seen sort of like this escalation of like storytelling of what's worse, oh, well, this is worse, and this is worse, and it's like, great. So let's 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 pin this out, one, you're being kept up at night, probably by things you have no control over. Two, by a finite number of resources, which you cannot change. Three, by actions and actors that are outside of your scope to control. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this is a little soft and squishy sounding, but if you're being kept up at night, then you're not sleeping well, which means as somebody who's done both fast restaurant cooking, I was a cook for a while, and so I ran speed kitchens, and who's worked in an emergency room... If you're not in there with a healthy mindset at the start of the day, you're not doing the job right. 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 It's just plain unhealthy. And so, this notion of you have to have some security list of things keeping you up at night, again, feeds the idea of trauma and failure as the world you're living in. Because if you're being kept at night, then that means something you're failing to do. Yeah. I don't I, I don't like this phrase at all to be real. Yeah, and honest.
1: there's there's another aspect to it too that, that always resonates for me when I hear this whole paradigm is there's this like um like a masochistic badge of honor vibe that we get into in our industry where CISOs are one upping yep. each other on, Oh, you think your day is tough. Boy, I worked forty hours yesterday. You know, and, and yeah. we and we we have that badge of honor for how how tough the, 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 row is to hoe and how it's uphill both ways. And, you know, and, uh, you know, all of <laughs> yeah, that stuff, exactly. right. It's, it's that same kind of phenomenon. And, and it's a badge of honor to be sleepless. Like, oh yeah, well, you think that's bad. I haven't slept in three months, you know, sacrifice yourself on the altar. Yeah. Right? I don't know why we do this to each other and to ourselves. I don't know why sleeplessness should be something we evaluate ourselves by as a positive, as a, as a token of, you know, look at how awesome I
0: am. Yeah. Well, and and the other side of it is there's also in my mind without trying to self-criticize myself, it's like, if I'm up at nights like that, then that tells me I'm also not in control of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I've lost control at some point that I can't put it down. Right. And, and to me, that's like the, that's also that whole reality check of, am I thinking about the right things? Am I, am I, is my time being well spent in the right places? If I can't keep that kind of corral around what's going on yeah you know i mean if you have a major incident you got to roll up your sleeves and say goodbye to the weekend and the wife and kids that's that's part of the job right. right and you know for me i think about it often in terms of my father was in law enforcement and so that was part of the job right. when when the bad thing happens or my friends who work as volunteer firemen that's i've seen them walk away from barbecues because that's part of the job right. but it shouldn't be every night that it keeps you. right
1: shut. Right. Only when there's actually something taking place. And it's, I'm, I'm reminded of this one. You, you said, you, you know, this may sound soft and squishy. I'm reminded of the serenity prayer, right? Like, That's exactly where <laughs> yeah, I was going to head with exactly. this. Exactly. Yep. You know, the, the, the things I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Like yep. if you're losing sleep over the stuff you don't control, then there's really just something fundamentally psychologically wrong with your posture at the time, not with the circumstances, right?
0: Yeah. Or or the people that you're working with, which that's another conversation entirely. Right. Is who's also feeding this into. Right. You, right. right. If it's coming from I've upstairs, been very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if you've got peers, I've never worked in one of those orgs, but we both know people mm-hmm. who work in organizations where you have like tiers of CISOs or BISOs or any of those other sorts of ESOs in the middle. And it's like, well, the people over in this division are working. Oh yeah. God, help me! I would, that would make it even worse. Is you know, we talk about it here from an industry perspective, but imagine inside of an organization right. with multiple levels. right. So
1: Fred was up all yeah. night. Sanjay was up all night. Jane was up all night. Yep. What's, what's up with you, Mister Slacker? or CISO?
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep.
1: We did, we did a show on uh, incident response a while back. I had uh, Brian Hurd, Aon, formerly Strauss Friedberg,
0: yeah. on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's old. He's old. He's he's old school man. He is. He's got like pedigree. Yeah, he does. In that space. He does. Yeah.
1: And and we talked about this idea that, you know, be as transparent as you can be barring your lawyers to actually knocking you down to the floor, right? Uh, the lawyers are always going to say shut up and, and be vague. But but I think in, in these times, transparency is really required, especially if you do have your act together. And, and to your point, anybody can pick apart any story. Oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? What, what about this software? What about that tool? But the reality is, if you've got a comprehensive program in place, and you were astute enough to observe and track the phenomenon as it was occurring, and you can speak to, we saw this, we did that. We saw this, we did that. We saw this, we did that. And you have a that for every this. You're in a good place. And there's no reason not to share that because this ties back into that whole CISO tearing each other down thing. You know, when yeah, uh, exactly. when Equifax happened, everybody tore apart their process and tore apart what they were looking at. And then the worst part was tore apart the CISO herself because she had a music degree. Oh my God, somebody who's got a music degree. <laughs> you know, like like what's the big deal around that? She had all these years in the industry, clearly. Got there for a reason. And, you know, even on that scenario, I think it ended up where there was some stuff that wasn't patched. That's not a crime you hang a CISO for, you know? No. Even even unpatched stuff, there is still real process in play. And that might have been the one server that the process, uh, back to that accepted risk, right? It might be the one server that's got the legacy thing on it and you can't do this and can't do that. And you can't upgrade it right now at this moment. So you're going to do some compensating controls and blah, blah, blah you know, there there could have been a whole, even on that one, which I think everyone thinks of as like Equifax was like, you know, of all the big major ones that have happened, that's the one that I think even all the other CISOs walked, walked away saying this one was a negative. This one was a real failure on their part. I'm willing to bet there's even some demonstrable not failure in that story is I guess what I'm trying to say.
0: No, absolutely. And the thing is, even if There are assets that are unpatched, and I know that this is actually where you and I are now taking a step over the line, and and people can try to smack us for this. Was she doing the best she could with the resources she had, right? I mean, I I could almost throw down the gauntlet of, say, I dare anyone to tell me that they are 100% patched Right. Right. on all of their assets, all of the time, with full visibility unless it's like a mom and pop shop right. with three devices. Right. Right? Or or in the you case know? of
1: my outfit, a cloud company with, you know, small number of employees yeah. that's all recent and brand new. And, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. We, we're
1: we well, lucky. My well, last I, job, well, the job before that, the job before that, the job before that was everything passed. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, we got to be careful because we don't want to, but literally back when I worked at Intel, I adopted the phrase environmental opacity, mm-hmm. right? You don't have an absolute clear vision. And the thing is, even if you look at it and unpack it, you can say to yourself, I can only get to certain degrees. Yep. Do I have all of my assets? Yes. And then 10 minutes after you say yes, some guy just spun up a new virtual machine on exactly. his laptop. Exactly. What, you know, and, and then, so can we, can we as CISOs and security leaders make bad mistakes? Yes, we can. And, and can we make really poor decisions on who we blame for those decisions yes. that we make? Yes. We know that there are certain people who decided to push the blame down the pipeline. Right poor sport right um but there's two ways to look at that that person could be blaming down the pipeline or that person can be acknowledging the fault in the system and say i didn't take enough time to teach interns how to do certain right things, right and i own it right but how we present it and how it's represented again is skewed by who's delivering the message to right. you on it right You know, it's it's the infamous you hear one part of someone's statement and it's woven to be reflected one way. But when you unpack and watch the entire paragraph of what they said, it's not what they were. meaning. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And this this
1: conversation right here, somebody could take that apart and say, oh, my God, they're not patched. They're not patched. Uh, I I will state this for the record. I have numerous times at numerous shops been in a circumstance where there was an unpatched server that was unpatched because it was running some sort of antique software on it that the guys that wrote it aren't even with the company anymore. And they can't upgrade it because they tried that and it broke. So they have to keep running yep. it on the old thing, and that's just the business yep. need. This thingy must still be here, and it must still run, and it only runs on this old thing that's unpatched. So you get into compensating controls, and you get into all these other factors and stories. But this is – you know, and at some point, you have the conversation with the business. The only way to fully 100% secure this thing is to wipe it out. Business says we can't wipe it out. Okay, then we're going to do the best we can and we're going to do compensating controls. Yeah. And for all we know, in, in all these negative stories we hear, that's exactly what it was. was a compensating control scenario where the business and the CISO sat down together, measured the cost of doing it and not doing it, and took the chance because, you know what? We're better off having that thing continue to run and it's making more revenue or whatever it might be. Well, I'm remembering one company but, I worked for, it was a licensing server. Mm-hmm. And if we took it down, yep. boom, there would have been no revenue, period.
0: Yep. For my days at Intel, we had the same thing. But that's exactly the point is, If you, as the leader, are sitting here having this conversation, and at the end of the day, you say that ancient device has to be on the network because it's bound to millions of dollars in revenue in certain cases. And at the end of the day, you have the conversation and you feel okay, and you go, okay, we've made that decision, and you put it to rest. You do all the documentation you need, you have all the conversations you have, and you put it to rest you're in a healthy state. Mm -hmm. If at the end of the day, you have that conversation, and then you get inundated with vulnerability management companies who are hammering you with the bad guys will find it kind of messaging Mm -hmm. or any of these other negative things that are out here, the if not when the asymmetric warfare, you start to, you know, pick yourself apart saying, oh, God, that one server, that's it. That's, that's the one place that they will be right, and I will be wrong, and the world will come to an end. Now, granted, you'll lose millions of dollars. So maybe your world will come to an end depending on the company. But that's the unhealthy messaging that is backing into how we do our jobs. Yep. We don't have resources. If you feel it's important, then we need to reestablish how we're right. going to do it, right? It's about being being able to be okay with settled with what you've got yeah. and doing the best you can with it and being able to get there, right? Yep,
1: and this is this ties right back to the whole conversation with the business about what's acceptable risk, right? There's a conversation with the business about what's acceptable resources, because if you're doing it right as the CISO, you're aligning these resources to the risks and you're saying, you know, a million dollars worth of this hardware and 500,000 worth of those salaries adds up to foiling these risks. And if we don't have those, we can't foil those risks, but we can still foil these risks. And that measured conversation takes place upstairs. And again, if it's done right and the CISO is clarifying stuff, whatever the joint decision is, is the joint decision. And the CISO should be able to live with that, right? That's, that's, that's kind of the way I see that one.
0: Yeah, I, re- I remember I was watching a show recently, and they were talking about decision making processes. And this is where I this is where I'm going to fall apart because I'm not a sports fan. But the the example they were using was some recent football game within the last six months, where the coach sent in a play, and it was like you know maybe five yards to the goal or whatever, and he flubbed it. And of course, the super fans crucified him, right, right, all over social media. But anybody who is actually took a step back and had any sort of background in sports statistics said he sent in precisely the right statistical play for the moment. It was exactly the right play. It's just all of the entropy of human elements made it fail. Right. And I feel a lot about the same way when it comes to do you have the resources? Or are you doing this? It's the decision making process and the methods that you use that arrive you to the decisions that you Mm -hmm. make that matters Mm -hmm. more than the outcome. And I know for a lot of folks, that's just BS. They're going to be like, no, my OKRs would never go like that. But as as a security leader and somebody who has to think about security strategically, it's got to be the process that you get to that lets you be at peace with the decisions Mm -hmm. you make is so much more important than oh no, Security Vendor X just sent me this really scary white paper. I have to go buy Security Vendor X's stuff right now right. because they scared me. Right. No, right? I, here's my model. Here's my methods. Here's here's my, my criteria for success or what have you, right? I'm a big rubric guy. I love yeah. putting everything in at numbers so that I look at things and say to myself, objectively, I wasn't schmoozed into making a decision I didn't want to make. And I feel that the resources conversations are also the same sorts of things where you got what you got, you do what you can, you do it through some sort of sound method that if anybody looked at the method can't argue with I mean they might argue with the weights and the measures but the approach is sound then your decisions are sound be okay with it don't consider yourself failing right right let's pause
1: right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor
2: Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up to date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do.
1: Let's pivot it, though, and let's get with the positive story, right? How do we move forward in the face of fear and doubt and uncertainty, given our suspicions or predilections towards so many of these negative themes?
0: Yeah, so I think the first step is is recognizing these things and being easier on yourself for them, right? Right do the best you can with the resources you have and and don't let things keep you up at night. And this was actually where, you know, I was thinking about this and this is where I was thinking when I knew, because we we're going to have the point of how do we right. make it better? This is where I was going to bring up the serenity pair, right? Be be kinder to yourself, but also be easier on each other, right? Because nobody's qualified to pass judgment without knowing all the facts. Just like you said, we don't know everything that's going on. I think that we need to fix the lens on LinkedIn and other news sources, right? Again, this could probably be a whole nother story, Mm -hmm. but when I see thought leaders in the industry who aren't actually thinking about the big picture but are actually selling a product or self-promoting, disconnect from them. Don't give them oxygen in the room. Don't advocate them, right? I have this sort of personal thing where if I see somebody throwing shade on LinkedIn, I, I basically disconnect. I take them off my list. They're not... It's not worth it to me to be one of their 10K followers that then gets them. Right, right. Um, I think we need to figure out how to know the difference between like a product evangelist and a security evangelist, right? Because often when we see these problems surface, people will resurface with these mantras and this this thing, and it will all zero in on big, bad, scary, you failed, you suck. Hey, everybody else, come look at our product. Right. right. And, and that person's walking around with the title of security evangelist. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're a product evangelist. Right. Let's be right. real clear on what you're doing and call them Mm -hmm, out on it. mm -hmm. And right there in that same space is the whole vendor hijack, right? I hate to see a great conversation ongoing inside of LinkedIn. And right there in the middle is Bob, the SDR, who says, oh, by the way, we have a great solution for you in this place and then starts spewing links to their company let's call them out on it, yeah. right? That's a vendor hijack in my book, and that should yeah, be Yeah, when I,
1: when I do my original content post on LinkedIn, um, inevitably there's a vendor that does that. I'll always comment. I'll always reply with, you know, wait a vendor or something like that. Um, exactly. You know, I'll, I'll call exactly. them out. Uh, and sometimes I've even just deleted the comment. Yeah. It, it is, cult of personality is a whole nother facet to this conversation for sure. That, that whole, you know, quote unquote thought leader thing. And I'm, there's, there's certain individuals I'm thinking of who have this CISO mantle and pedal FUD And, uh, and, and and I've got an entire living being made off of peddling FUD, not to mention the vendors and the products that are, that are doing the same. And I, you know, now that I'm on the vendor side of the fence too, it's, I'm acutely aware that I have to be conscious to actually advocate for real solutions to problems and not just buy my company's product. And that'll solve your problems. It's challenging and it's tough to do, especially when you're invested in the company like I am, you know, it's, it's tough Mm -hmm. to do, but, but there's a certain, um, just ethical requirement, as far as I'm concerned, to our industry that that it can't just be that. Um, you can't just go spewing your, your your byline at every turn, and it's it's no different than than being the one to jump on the bandwagon to tear apart the. I'm going to keep using Equifax just because that's the one that you know is in my brain right now. But okay. to tear apart that CISO and and try to try to dismantle her program and everything was broken and wrong. There's no difference in jumping on that bandwagon in my mind than jumping in on the my company is the only company that can solve this problem you should have bought us bandwagon right
0: yeah yeah you know it's it's the 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 forensics guy in me often wants to say what would be really interesting is imagine the company that says hi i'm acme company x i was breached here was the problem here was my entire suite of security vendors that didn't protect me Right. If all of a sudden we, we, we had the conversation about what failed, and then let's see how the security vendors want to have conversations about breaches. Right. Right. Oh, it's, that could get so, just not yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. We can't, we can't, I mean, it's, it's, it's messy, but it's, there's way too much to it, but there's this sort of, you know, visceral side of me that likes to see karmic justice. Get right. As a, as, a, as a thought exercise,
1: but, that's one heck of a way to turn the tables. This is absolutely. great. So, so how about your advice for today's CISO then we've, we've talked about a lot of don'ts. What are some do's?
0: Okay, so Dues, there's a really great talk. Do one, this is operationally simple. Go look up the name Esteban Mm Gutierrez. He is the CISO of New Relic, and he delivered this amazing presentation at B-Sides Portland in 2018 of security as nurturance. It's probably one of the things that influenced me towards thinking about things this way, right? Where he started to scratch the surface of the implications of security metaphors around military culture. Mm -hmm. And that security has to be adversarial, zero sum, and controlling. I can't do his talk justice, and you, maybe you, we should schmooze him to come on and talk about what he did. We should, uh, and it's thirty minutes of your time, but it's amazing to way he thinks about it. And he's got a background in linguistics, so you know, maybe not a music teacher, but a linguistics mm-hmm. person who's far and one of the most smartest guys in security I know. And the idea that security should be shouldn't be about being wartime military context; it should be about nurturance, and so. Step away from the war culture, step away from the Sun Tzu quotes, step away from the FUD and start rethinking about what you do as supporting and empowering your organization's mission. Literally rewrite your OKRs, rewrite the way your mission statement says, right? Think about that. You know, what are the positive filters rather than the risk avoidance filters, right? right? How many people have metrics about how many days since last crashed or how many days since last compromised? No. How about? you protect the people supporting your organization's mission. And if you believe in that mission, that right there is, is gold, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Redefine what your team is working on in terms of how you allow the business to move faster, how you allow it to leverage new technologies to help and serve its customers quicker. Talk about how you allow the business to grow in other regions of the world, right? Or adopt new areas or MA your way successfully, right? And that you do all of these things in a way that benefits your mission because you're letting them do it safely. We often talk about security, but we need to start thinking about the term safely as well in the way yeah. we have these conversations, yeah. right? And if your company and your resources are mature enough, how what you guys are doing inside the company, or gals, I mean, I got to start stop using the word guys in these days, but the pathfinding that your organization is doing mm-hmm. and how you give back to the community around you to raise All boats, right? Look at some of the companies that are out there like Netflix and others. The sheer volume of security stuff that they've just put out into GitHub and other locations for free Mm -hmm. are amazing. Mm -hmm. And to me, I don't know if Jason and crew over at Netflix were ever given the full acknowledgement like as part of their mission, making the world a safer place through the really cool tools that they hand the world, but they did it, Yeah, right? We need to stop making... we see we need to stop framing our success as avoidance of problems and instead make it making the world move better.
1: I like that empowering and enabling yeah. the use of and storage of exactly. all this information yeah, and yeah. data. Like, yeah. And enabling you to safely work with the data you need to, when you need to work with it. Like what, yeah, a, what yeah. a great and mission statement as all opposed technology to stopping that's the out guys. There. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we're getting to the very end of the show here. I got one question I ask every guest, which is, what have you learned outside of cybersecurity that has helped you in cybersecurity?
0: (laughs) Okay. So my background, like many, including the music teacher, isn't completely traditional, right? I started out in engineering. That didn't go the way I wanted. I went to political science and I went to philosophy. And then I focused in political communication. And then I circled back and got a comp sci degree just because I got tired of people telling me that liberal arts people couldn't do technology. So I got a <laughs> super high GPA and rubbed their noses in it. But really what I feel like early on uh, in my career was I didn't focus on, a, on how important communication is. Mm-hmm. Right? I did it for my poli sci degree. I, I actually did a thesis on, or, or research on political communication. And it focused on the concept of reality filters. And that we all carry reality filters on every piece of information we receive. And the information has to bypass all of those filters to really sink in and become part of what is our knowledge and our wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so politics, religion, ideologies, all of those are dead stops. They just stop things from getting in straight out right? A Democrat stops talking, a Republican's not going to listen. All those things that we know in our world these days right. and vice versa. No one, no one is immune to filters, right? But the research that I did back then was that knowing how to get past the filters means you know how to frame things in a way that your audience is going to hear you. And the thing that with security is too often, we don't think about communicating correctly. And so mm-hmm. I often find myself falling back to the things I learned about communication filters when I talk to people about security. If I'm talking to a peer, eh, I don't need that many filters. If I'm talking to a business rep, I need a lot of filters. And one of the things that I always keep in the back of my head that was actually the research, one of the lines of research that I did was one of the things that gets past filters easiest is humor. Yeah. Framing things in a context of humor, people relax their filters even if it's just a matter of, oh, he's only joking, so I don't have to be judgmental about right. it. And so a lot of the times when I've done things in the past with trying to get a message across, I will do so wrapped in a touch of, commu- a touch of humor. Mm-hmm. And all of that is based upon the research I did in the college around how certain forms of social behaviors became more acceptable once they had been framed in literally comedic TV shows.
1: Oh, interesting. Right?
0: It's tough because we, we handle such serious subjects, but when you're trying to really get through the filters and communicate, humor works.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm a big believer in humor as well. And I, you know, you go read my well, LinkedIn uh, reviews. Obviously and- I'm here,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> you played a joke on somebody by putting me here.
1: No, sir. Like I said, at the beginning, very proud to have you on the show. This has been a fantastic conversation. Steve Mancini, CISO at Eclipsium. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Absolute pleasure. Y'all be good now.